Many times, the weeks leading up to Easter can be overwhelmingly busy. This is especially true for pastors and church leaders desiring to retell in a fresh way the story that changed all of human history. We hope you've enjoyed the string of conversations from the past couple weeks, and we have another set of interviews coming up on the jealousy of God and on the church being a scientific community and on the different personalities of preaching styles. But for this Lenten season, the next seven episodes will be a time of devotion and hearing the last words of Christ from the cross. We hope you'll take 15 minutes to slow down, to sit, to reflect, whether it be in the early morning with a cup of coffee or in your car before getting to your next evening destination. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Welcome to the Quiet Reformation. The first words that Jesus speaks from the cross are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you have any last words? I hope that you never have to hear that phrase. But think about it for a second. If that phrase is asked of you, it means that your death is looming and that you're contemplating what is important to communicate right now. Jesus has known that his death is coming. He's been communicating with his disciples about it. He's been communicating with the Father about it. But now here it is. He's hanging on this Roman cross. He's bloody. He's been tortured. He knows that in just a few hours, he's going to breathe his last breath. And these miraculous words spring out of him as a declaration as he hangs on the cross. But his words are not to the people who are hurting him. His words are not, I forgive you. The forgiveness of Jesus is a posture that he's already walking in. His words are to the father who's watching his son be murdered and tortured. And any parent would rightly and appropriately be raging inside with wrath, watching this happen to their child. And God is not an emotionless, cold, detached God. He is very present. He's tuned in. And of course, even though the father and the son are very aware that this is what needs to happen for humanity to be redeemed, it does nothing to remove the sting or the bite of what this is. In fact, Jesus must feel all of it for it to be worthwhile. And the father must suffer the pain of watching his son walk through this brutal tragedy. And Jesus, as he goes on the cross, essentially is saying, dad, we still, this is still the game plan and they don't know what they're doing. Please, please, in all of your hurt and anger and wrath, don't unleash on them. Let's continue the process. This is like Moses at Mount Sinai when the first covenant with God's people, that Mosaic covenant is being formed. God's giving the Ten Commandments and the, the people down at the base of the mountain are making the golden calf and are already going astray. And God, he's about to fulfill justice for Moses. And so he tells Moses, step aside. I'm going to take care of them and I'll start a new nation with you. And Moses steps in front and says, no, 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 God, 
protect your reputation, protect your name. You're not the God who can't handle their sin. And you're making a covenant with these people. Stick with it. You're slow to anger, abounding in love. And God in deep emotion, but also in deep restraint is able to hold back at the request of Moses. And Moses knows that God will get his back. But Moses also knows that for the best of God and for the best of the kingdom, it's good that God does not unleash. And he doesn't. And here we see a similar conversation with Jesus. What's interesting is that for many of us, it could be that on a deathbed, some of us might actually want justice to happen to the people who have hurt us. Remember, King David said to King Solomon about a guy who had been a real problem in the kingdom for them. He had told Solomon, make sure that this guy doesn't survive, Shemiah. And Jesus is saying something very different. Jesus in this situation is saying, of course, they deserve all sorts of punishment, but this is why we're here, is to rescue them. So please forgive them. Please forgive them. There's something incredibly powerful about forgiveness. We live in a world that preaches tolerance, tolerating others who are not like us. And I believe that the scriptures really validate that same call, that we need to learn to be long-suffering, to tolerate, to be patient with others, to be slow to anger. And when people have different ideologies, different perspectives, when they live in different ways, our job is not to enforce all of our thoughts and all of our values on everyone else. There is a way in which we live in this world with respect and honor and where we learn to navigate difficult situations and conflicts of interest. But tolerance only takes us so far because some ideologies and some interests are so diametrically opposed that they become deeply offensive. And sometimes it's just pure selfishness and pure evil that come and allow injustice to really harm and hurt us or other people. And in that moment, tolerance isn't enough. We need something deeper. And the great miracle of God to bring redemption is this work of forgiveness. The greatest miracle perhaps to ever touch humanity that Jesus declares right here from the cross forgiveness. Interestingly, justice hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. We'll hear a few more phrases from Jesus before we get to it is finished. But before justice has been completely fulfilled, Jesus is already speaking forgiveness. And this is an important thing for us to remember that forgiveness is not contingent on wrath and on vengeance because if it was, then we wouldn't be able to offer forgiveness to people who have already passed on. We wouldn't be able to offer forgiveness to people who aren't repentant. We wouldn't be able to offer forgiveness until we've seen justice. I remember having a conversation with city leaders from Philadelphia, and we were in the middle of this conversation talking about what it looks like to have reconciliation across ethnic lines. And I remember one of my friends spoke and said, yeah, you know, I don't think real reconciliation can happen without there being trust rebuilt. And trust being rebuilt means that we're acknowledging where things have been unjust and we're working toward repenting from those things and putting justice in place. And so we can have some form of relationship, but to have real reconciliation, 
it requires at least a measure of significant justice. And I asked, where does forgiveness fit in with all of that? And he says, forgiveness is what gets us to the table. Forgiveness is what allows us to continue conversation. Forgiveness doesn't require justice, but reconciliation does. And Jesus shows this as he works toward justice and ultimately toward reconciliation. He starts with the phrase of forgiveness. This should be a model to us that when we are being treated unjustly, we, like Jesus, cry out to God. And for us, we're crying out to God that not only would he forgive, but he would help us to forgive. And we've seen this modeled. We saw it in the Amish school shooting in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, when a man came and murdered all those children in the school building. And the leaders of that Amish community got up right away, offered forgiveness, and began to care for the widow of that killer. We saw it when a racist came into an African-American church and began to shoot innocent black brothers and sisters who were worshiping the Lord. And a son of an amazing mother stood up. He was a college baseball player, stood up and offered forgiveness. And ESPN ran the special on it. And the name of the Lord is glorified. And that is not because that young man didn't believe in justice. And there was all sorts of people who were frustrated. How can you offer forgiveness when there's an overt racist doing this? So this is not a time for forgiveness. This is a time for justice. This young man, Chris Singleton, he, he now is one who speaks on justice. He was not asking that there wouldn't be justice. What he was saying is, I'm going to be free and my family's going to be free because we're going to offer forgiveness. We're going to walk in the way of Jesus, but then I'm going to advocate for justice because we need justice if there's ever going to be reconciliation. This is the call for us. Where have you been hurt? Where have you been wounded? Whoever that person is, when you think about that, right now in your heart, resolve to forgive them. And forgiveness, of course, is a journey. It's not just once and done, it's ongoing. But resolve in your heart, speak it to the Lord, invite the Lord to help you, and then be able to pray with integrity the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we leave justice into the hands of the Lord and we cry out for it, particularly for those who are most brutally oppressed. But we start with forgiveness in the same way that Christ does. And we celebrate his covenant knowing that he's offered it to us and has given us the power by his spirit to offer it to one another. What a God we serve.